0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders from different sectors every week. Now, our guest today comes from the education sector. Andy Sulik is the president of Santa Margarita Catholic High School with a master's degree in Catholic Education Administration and a bachelor's degree in Education and History. Andy established an innovative program that provides students with real-world networking and growth opportunities. Now, together, we'll talk about how to operationalize personalization by adapting traditional leadership models to serve the unique needs of students. Now, we'll also discuss why institutions should start prioritizing well-being in the digital era and discuss how educators can help students face the growing mental health issues related with the advancement of technology. So before we get started, click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis so that you can stay in touch with our most recent content about leadership in the age of personalization. Let's get started.
1: Great to have you! Welcome to the show. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for
0: having me. Absolutely, Andy. I mean, look, why would we not have you? I mean, you bring such uh, wisdom uh, and care to your field of education, and clear, clearly, um, what's gone on in, head, in high schools throughout you know the United States over the past eighteen months um, has been alarming. And so we're we're really excited to hear your points of view on. Where where high school students are right now, and how educational leaders should be preparing for it, but you know also your perspective on what you see long term. So on that note, let's get started. Why do you believe that personalization happens when we discover, when we nurture, when we develop, and we validate the significance that every human being can contribute?
1: What are your thoughts, Andy? I think when we talk about uh, when we talk about our kids. One of the unique perspectives that I have at Santa Margarita is I was a student here. I was a teacher here. I was a coach here. And I've now been an administrator here. And so I can rely on the experiences that I had in the different uh, arenas. And I call on them at times, too. Uh, I'm like, hey, you know, how would the kids feel about this? Or when I was a faculty meeting, sitting in faculty meetings, what, what was a good way that administrators got my attention? we're now sitting in this position here is what is something that we can do that's significant, that's transformational to our faculty and staff that isn't just result resulting around pay, you know, cause obviously that's always a concern, but what is a way that we can make them feel significant? And so I rely on that experience in all aspects uh, of, of when I make decisions and then, you know, I do these lunches uh, on a monthly basis with kids actually pre COVID and now out coming out of COVID we'll do them again, where I get, my assistant, and I said, Get 10 kids. Let's have them in for lunch. And I'm going to ask them, What do you think of the place? We're mm-hmm. here for you. What do you like? What don't you like? And then the teachers that they like, I write the notes down and then I'll put a, uh, a letter in that, uh, that teacher's mailbox and say, Just so you know, you're significant. You've made a transformational difference in, in, a, in a student's life that I just randomly had lunch with the other day. And uh, so we tried it, but I rely on that experience. Uh, as a leader, and also, I think it helps me and all of the things that you and Dr. Lacey and many of the people on our consortium are doing with personalization, because it, that experience helps me make decisions. So,
0: so Andy, you know, when, as I listen to you, I go back to uh, what we've all said that we've been in education, which is student-centered. And, but it seems to me that this has been something that you've been practicing a while. What has what the student taught you about leadership?
1: Well, the number one thing is, is when I was a student, and even when you guys were students many years ago, the game has changed. And it's just a simple example is lockers on campus. You don't really need them anymore because everything, <laughs> we have tablets. So our kids are on tablets all day, you know, and then they have these e-books. So the lockers that we once had at one point, you know, we don't necessarily need. So when I sit down with kids, I, ha- I also understand that education has changed. Information is more at their hands. You know, we used to you look at encyclopedias. We used to have to go to the library and we would have to research things in the library. Now you can Google it. You can get all these peer-reviewed articles and different things like that. So it's changed. And some of that change obviously is for the better. But then some of that change uh, has, has forced us uh, as educators to uh, be more accountable. Uh, it helps in our like last year with Zoom calls on COVID, you know, we knew that parents could hear what our teachers were teaching in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of in a lot of times, we got really positive feedback from how our teachers were teaching in the classroom or in their Zoom call. But we also got some feedback that was also helpful to us uh, in again maintaining decisions and making decisions that are in the best interest of the kids entrusted to us.
0: So okay, you mentioned accountability. Give me another leadership attribute that you believe uh, you've evolved in uh, as a result of what you've learned from the unique needs of your students?
1: Well, I think it's interesting you say that because uh, when I was in sales many years ago, they talk about objections are needs stated negatively. (laughs) And so when I would get when I get an email from a parent and or a student and they tell me what's going on in a particular classroom, I'm like, okay, well, we're clearly not meeting the need uh, that might that this family particularly has. So the good news is and I learned this from uh, my friend uh, who has a very successful restaurant in town. And when he first opened the restaurant, he talked about how he wasn't getting very many customers and things were. Uh, you know, really struggling for the first six months. And then all of a sudden he started calling people and saying, why aren't you coming back? What do you want to see here? Well, your wine list isn't this or whatever. So what we do is we try, I try and embrace the failure. What I mean by that is if we embrace the things we're not doing well, that gives us an opportunity to then meet the needs. And then you have less objections. And I I think that's, it's a hard thing to do. And, you know, one of my favorite books is uh, I'm a big Ryan Holiday fan. He wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy, and he talks about stillness is the key and different things like that. But at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is do things that are best, in the best interest of our kids. But it's through these objections and embracing the failures that we actually get opportunities. The challenges is to get better.
0: Well, this sounds in perfect alignment uh, to what you stand for. Andy, because you, you believe that delivering solutions for good that enhance, make better, help,
1: and provide clarity is important. Why do you feel that way? Well, education continues to change. Solutions and compromise on both sides help grow the institution for the better. And so our leadership team, and we get together to, uh, with our leadership team, with our assistant principals and our vice presidents, our principal, I invite them to give their perspectives. We don't always have to agree. And actually, it's through those disagreements that we actually end up becoming out stronger in the end. And as a result of that, the solution is student centric. And then it, it, it enhances our institution because the only thing that's constant is change. We don't educate the same way we did in 1987 when we first opened here. And in 2021, coming out of COVID, we're going to continue to change and evolve in some respects even faster now because we adopted, adapted as many high schools and many colleges in the country did. Within a three-week time period, we went from learning in classrooms brick and mortar to completely online learning that we thought was going to be for five weeks, and it ended up being for the entire second semester. So COVID taught us that we could adapt and swiftly and decisively when needed. And so then the solutions that our leadership team and our ed tech team came up with benefited ultimately our students uh, in a very uh, volatile time in education uh, from February to June of 2020.
0: So Andy, you know, you know that I'm a big believer that inclusion is a growth strategy. And we're going to talk about DE&I in a little bit. But now, as you go through this level of, of change in, in, in the institution, and you know how high school students are changing uh, because of social media and other stressors in their life, um, how do you rely on your alumni community uh, to help you in your leadership team uh, get out in front of change. I've got to believe that given the prestige of Santa Margarita High School, that you've got quite an alumni network that may have a point of view.
1: Yeah, for sure. We just crossed over 11,000 alumni with this graduating class of 2021. Wow. Um, and you know what makes our school special? And again, I'm not saying this negatively about any other school, but our alumni feel a deep connection to the place. They, they believe in the teachers that taught them, the coaches that were working with them. Um, the friendships that they've made. Many of them, you know, I always tell kids that we hope that you make friendships that last a lifetime. And, you know, you see that when you go to weddings and you've got kids that graduated from high school together and they're in each other's wedding, you know, and that's, that's really a powerful uh, transformation as well. But all that, uh, I think what's helped me candidly is the alumni because I can call on them. They're all over the world. Uh, they're all, all different sectors, whether it's healthcare, professional, business, education, um, and we call it, We bring them in and look. Mm-hmm. You sat in these classrooms, you swam in this pool, you ran on this field, uh, you performed on that stage. Um, you know, and what do you, what do you remember? What do you think uh, were the best things about Santa Margarita? And then also, how did you take those experiences and, and move them into your careers? And so it's really relevant for our kids because they see them. They see these alum come back, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, well I could do what that guy did," and and so they're very inspiring. But they also help me from an expertise point of view because I call on them because some of them are running companies now, running schools, uh, and we collaborate on on quite a few things uh, when we start making really uh, informed decisions. And we're hey, what are you doing over there? You know, I mean, you know how our culture is here. What are you doing over there? And and that has really benefited us.
0: So, so given the 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 experience uh, that you've had with your alumni uh, community, um, what wisdom can you share around how to build community as we get out of COVID? And then I'm going to ask uh, Scott to jump in with his perspective.
1: You know, coming out of COVID, I think one of the things that we, we've learned a couple things, um, it gave us the gift of time, um, <laughs> time to reflect, time to think, um, pause. You know, you had more family time. Uh, there was very little activity in some respects, which was actually good because I think many of us, and us included, and our kids are over programmed. And it gave us time uh, to do really two things either recommit to pr- the profession that they're, you're in, whether whatever it happens to be, and recommit to your family. But at the same time, it gave families and several of our employees, I'll give an example, uh, are moving out of state. So we have families that kids went to school here. And they are, they're moving to a different state. Uh, and in some cases, it gave some of our employees here also uh, a, a, the chance to look at a new career. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we're trying as an institution to, first of all, we don't know where the new normal is. or the, you know, not, We're not going back, but what's the new normal yet? You know, We're still getting uh, a lot of questions about masks, no masks. Uh, what are you doing in the classroom? What are you teaching, you know, when we get into some of the DEI stuff that we'll talk about here in a second? What are you doing on that front? But I think ultimately what helped us, um, you know, was we got the gift of time to help us recommit uh, to what's important. And, you know, and I, I appreciate, I think a lot of our families now look back and they're like, man, that was a really special time in our lives. that We were able to do that because that had never happened before uh, mm-hmm. where we were literally shut down.
0: So Scott, where are we right now in the conversation? What are you thinking?
2: Um, couple things. I guess. Um, I guess. Well, I'll go with this one, and, and it kind of goes back to. I mean, I think we're still in the same spot, but back to the objection equals needs expressed negatively, right? And how that, um, how that, Andy, how you related that back to kind of one of your leadership approaches, uh, right? Or your sort of the way that you roll, uh, and that's this whole idea of. Um, essentially, facilitating solutions through compromise, right? And um, one thing that I think that um, at least I'd like to think about more for myself, if not maybe put it on the table for others to 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 offer their two cents, Glenn and, and Andy both, right? Um, but I think that as we think about this this idea about solutions through compromise. You know, Glenn, Glenn always, right, I always do this, Glenn, I always start to go back to it's like, be, be careful, we're going to go back and do the same thing over again, but we're not going to know it, we're just going to call it something different, right? Yeah. So my only concern is actually another way that's also an escape. And that is, when we start thinking about the objection, and we start thinking about compromise-based solutions, Um, one track that I think we're going to go back to more often than not, if we're not in check, is... Um, maintaining the dyadic principles, dialectic approaches, where it's this or it's that. It was the admin. Here's the admin's point of view. The faculty objected. So now it's a this one versus that one. And what I want to go back to is your original point, Andy, when you were talking about the the need to essentially bring everybody into conversations, right? And to, to have everybody part of conversations. So it's it's what I have the community, the faculty, you've mentioned students, you mentioned alumni, and most importantly, you're also mentioning staff, which oftentimes get completely put off the page with these discussions, right? Here's the deal. Um, I'm thinking that if we keep reaching for this compromise-based solutions, we run the risk of shooting ourselves in the foot because I think ultimately we're gonna go back to that dyadic principle where we're gonna say, oh, this is a faculty admin issue. This is a parent admin issue. Um, When in fact, what we're realizing by by getting out of our over-program state is that it's everybody's issue. Every (laughs) single thing that happens at that school is everybody's issue whether you're staff, whether you're a student, whether you're alumni, um, or whether you're a community member that's just walking by. So to, to recap, I guess I would love to hear your thought about this and whether maybe you've seen it, Andy, at all, or you've seen it, Glenn, with some of your discussions. Um, do we see people kind of trying to transcend the dyad in terms of compromise-based solutions? Um, or do we actually see real progress with the fact that we are being more inclusive with are compromise-based solutions. If we, if, we, if we don't do dyads, if we have multiple points, what we've just done is decentralized winning. Mm-hmm. Right? Or not decentralized, but we've decentered winning because mm-hmm. there's not a this versus that. Uh, the only winning that can happen is if everybody gets their fingers in there and, it, and everybody is okay. It doesn't mean everybody loses. But when we get to this diet, I'm afraid that we're going to get back to
1: battles. And that's just going to put us right back to where we left off. Jump in, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a great point. And I, uh, you know, coming out of this, uh, out of COVID and into, you know, this next school year, I, I had not thought about that. I actually, candidly, am looking at that going, boy, I totally agree with Scott on that. And not and making sure that we could, don't get back into the weeds still moving the institution forward and continuing personalization and continuing solutions, solution-based, but solution-based uh, solving those issues. But at the same time, though, no, I, I hadn't thought about that. So, but, but candidly, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm at a loss for words a little bit. I think that's really a good point that I need to think a little bit more. So we don't go backwards. We continue to move forward uh, and don't get into this you versus me or us versus you mentality. Well,
0: I mean, what Scott's really talking about, if I may, is uh, we're going to get back into tribalism when we've just spent the last 18 months trying to become human again. Um, And will we be quick to go back to our tribe and then hold those tribes accountable uh, for the things that we've always held them accountable for when we've learned that that actually didn't work in the first place? But that was the most standardized, at least we thought the most efficient way. But we've now realized that efficiency doesn't necessarily mean speed, which means if we keep thinking that that particular group or this particular group is responsible for this particular problem, uh, it'll just slow progress down. So uh, as always, Scott, great insights, yeah, great insights. So I'm going to shift gears here. And, you know, it, one thing is to me that it has become very evident, Andy, that there is no growth without help. Why do you believe that student well-being is now non-negotiable? What is the current mental state of the high
1: school student in your opinion? Well, it's a great question. It's a domino effect. You have students who have feel stress about academics, athletics, performing arts and trying to fit in socially. You have parents who are putting expectations uh, on the school and their child, and then you now have um, those those entities, and then you have teachers who feel stressed, especially coming uh, what they teach now, you know, because it something can offend somebody, and it's creating this, if you will, this perfect storm of of parents, students, and employees who <laughs> are very, um, I don't know, I'm saying totally stressed out, but there's definitely a higher level of stress on everybody, whether it's the expectation that they have uh, or not. So that's definitely something that has that, that, that perfect storm. But as a result of that, though, um, I think one of the things that we've, we're trying to do here with our therapists and also with some of just some of the guest lectures that we're bringing in and even some of, the, you know, some of them we bring in and some of them we do on Zoom, we're just trying to get parents to understand what are the strengths and weaknesses of your child? How can we help you facilitate those strengths and weaknesses? Because you know, you, as parents, you're the primary educators, and you know your kids better than we do. How can we work together so that your son or daughter can become um, the best version of themselves? As, that, as Matthew Kelly talks about uh, the author Matthew Kelly talks about that. Uh, how do we get your kids to become the best version of themselves? and working together here to do that. As a result of that, though, yes, the mental state of high school kids today, they are stressed. And last year, they were stressed out before COVID. Yeah. Uh, our parents were stressed out, uh, and our faculty were, were uh, as well before COVID, and it added another layer uh, to the uh, intensity. So wh- wh- tell us about you know, the stress that these
0: students are feeling outside the classroom. This seems to be an ongoing uh, and elevated concern.
1: This device right here has transformed things. Most of the discipline issues that we have revolve around this at some point. Uh, and uh, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, uh, not so much Facebook, uh, those two things, Instagram and Snapchat, quite a bit of stuff comes in on that. But I think that the kids, what they do, it's the same thing that you see sometimes is, you know, these kids portray their life. Some kids portray their life as perfect. So they, there's a perfect sunset or a perfect uh, image that's up there. And so then, when another young man uh, or woman looks at it, one of our kids, they're like, well, well, they've got a better life than I do. And there's this whole comparison thing that's happening. The other thing that happens too, and I've used this example before, uh, is when, when we were in high school, and if we didn't get invited to a party on a Friday night, we Found out about it, and then by Monday we were probably over it, right? These kids now weren't invited to the party, and then for the next three or four hours, or the next several days, they're going to see pictures of the party, who was there, what they were doing, because it's all on Instagram and Snapchat. So it doesn't just hurt once; it hurts every time that you open. And so our kids then are dealing with those stresses as well. So uh, the 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 phone the uh all-encompassing phone that has so many great ideas and and things on it also has uh, a lot of stressors for our young people as their cerebral cortex is developing uh and as we know that's not fully developed in 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 women till 23 or 24 and in men 26 or 27 so (laughs) They're going through a lot of things and the decisions that they're making. And then the other the last thing I would say just on that course is their life is on video from 15, 14 to 25. Our mm-hmm. our life was not. You know, when we talk, when we look at our lives, we were not on video. And things that we did that maybe weren't the best decisions that you could have made were not being able to be recapped on video and reshown to people and things like that. But unfortunately, this generation this Gen Z is dealing with that in the high school things we've never seen before. uh, And, and, you know, except for the last, uh, you know, really seven to 10 years.
0: Have you been able to identify Andy, how these external stressors are impacting uh, performance in the classroom?
1: Well, it's definitely impacting kids sleep. Because if, you know, you'll be on it all hours of the night, somebody will be texting you uh, and things like that. It definitely is a distraction because it definitely causes some kids as a result of no sleep. And then the distraction, they're not necessarily as focused, Uh, but it does. It has increased distress as well, just as uh, I'm I'm comparing my life to yours. Your life looks better than my life. And look what you know, look what look what I'm seeing. So, Andy, tell us a little
0: bit about what Santa Margarita is doing. I mean, you're clearly getting out in front of, of these mental health issues, and you recognize uh, the need for health and well-being of, of the student. Tell us a little bit about the actions that you're taking to prevent this and or to provide uh, assistance.
1: Well, we took a three-pronged approach with it. First of all, we gathered some of the best um, psychologists and therapists that we could in a local area and we meet with them quarterly. And we run ideas by them. Uh, we showed them the plans for our health and wellness uh, remodel that we're doing this, this, uh, this summer and got their input on that. So we've got this group of experts that we meet with that was uh, that's they meet quarterly. Then we went and we hired, we have three therapists that are on uh, one is uh, on campus full time and very different from counseling we've now taken our counselors and we have academic counseling where you know you took algebra 1 as a freshman you need to take uh, algebra 2 as a sophomore academic mm-hmm. then we have college counseling which is hey where do you want to go to college you know if you want to go to this school you should you know take these classes which is a little bit different and then they work with you and strategize on that and then we now have this mental health component with these therapists and They are meeting with kids um, and they're talking to them about uh, the anxiety, the depression, the uh, impact of uh, the stress in their lives, personal issues um, that they have going on. What they're doing is um, last year in the spring, to give an example, um, we had 64 kids that were going to see a therapist not regularly but you know had checked in and and wanted to talk to uh, one of our therapists on campus and we were really touched by that Um, but at the same time we realized we had there was definitely a need for it on campus to continue Mm -hmm. so the goal now with this center uh that is almost finished um they you know we're putting it with activities and campus ministry so it's not like you walk down the hallway and go hi I'm having a breakdown. I'm going to go see a therapist. You can actually, being in the same area, you can be in there for a lot of reasons, and then maybe slip into a therapist's office and talk to them about uh, you know anything that's going on. For more extensive problems, for people that need longer uh, therapy and things like that, more than you know a couple sessions, we are because we're just the triage. We're outsourcing. We we partner with Chalk Hospital, Children's Hospital, Orange County, and using their resource and their network as well. Uh, to get these kids uh, validating their feelings and also dealing with really the main two things is uh, are, are depression and anxiety. Wow, Andy, thank you uh, for
0: sharing that story. And I mean, you know, I, I I'm going to circle back to something you said earlier. You know, you, you well, you just said that there were 64 kids that that took advantage of this service yeah. that you've offered them which is incredible. But you also said earlier when talking about the parents that you said, and tell me if I'm wrong here, you you said to the parents, well, you know your kids better than we do. Is that really true? I mean, it seems to me that, that, you know, when you have 64 kids that have said, I'm going to take advantage of this service. Do parents really know their kids as well as they think they do these days? I mean, I can remember when we did, when we went to school, uh, the answer was yes. But is that still the case?
1: It's a great question. Um, I would say it, it, it varies by individual, by parents, and how involved they really are. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you sometimes get the parent that drops their son or daughter off and says, hey, well, pretty much you raise them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the parents that just decide to send their kids to Santa Margarita, um, uh, you know, definitely believe that they are the primary educator. Now, Catholic education still says that, but obviously that they're the primary educator. But uh, I would definitely say that there is a component of our, a faction of our parents now that probably don't know their parents as well as maybe our parents us. Funny thing that you bring this up, because I talk about this when I, when I talk at parent things, I always tell them two things about, you know, if I could give you any parenting tips when your kids are in high school, number one is, don't be your child's friend, right? They're going to have lots of friends, but they're only going to have one mom and one, one dad. So you don't want to be their friend. You know, there's plenty of time for that when they get older. And number two is take that Ronald Reagan type philosophy, which is trust, but verify. Just because they're telling you that they're at place X doesn't mean they are necessarily are. So make sure that you trust, but verify, and you, you you verify where they are. Because these are the years, again, with a, Fully, not fully developed cerebral cortex, we don't necessarily make the best decision. But I would definitely say, uh, Glenn, that we, we there is a trend that some, not all, but some of our parents do not know their kids as well as our parents. And us. Scott, what, what are
2: you thinking? Um, that the kids don't know themselves either, and none of us. I don't know myself, and I don't think Andy and Glenn, you know yourself either. We know we know where we've been. We have some ideas about where we're going, but I think that you know that might be one of the pieces that that is going to elude us a little bit as we think about this, right? Because um, I think going back to the social media, well, I think what we were doing—it's that replacement theory stuff uh, and behavior that you talk about, Glenn. Um, we thought we were doing connection with social media. What generation did that come up with? You know, like guilty, right? Like we brought the social media out because how are we raised? We were raised to be our authentic self. Find yourself and be yourself. That is heavy because it's bad advice because we evolve. The person that I am and want to be today is different from the dude that was here a week ago, let alone five years ago. And, and to not have the space to be able to change and to evolve and to maybe admit that a path was a wrong one, but maybe it wasn't wrong at all. But because I have to be my authentic self, It appears to be wrong and it appears as a failure because with social media, what we did was we confused what we thought was connectivity for distinction. That's what you were talking about, Andy, right? When you're saying, oh, sunset, here's a better one. Better sunset, oh, here's somebody I met. Look at who I saw at the restaurant, right? Here's me with 20 friends, up 22 friends. We're distinguishing ourselves. We're not connecting with others, we're actually pushing them away. And so when we talk about social media being social, it's probably one of the worst names that could ever be given, right? So my challenge would be, how do we think about this to where we get the same sort of ethos into a new generation that doesn't make the mistake, at least that I make over and over again, which is mistaking what I appear to, what I feel is me connecting to people when in fact it's nothing but distinction. I'm trying to distinguish myself and put others away or even put others down simply because I just want to be a little up.
0: You know, Scott, real quick, real, before you jump in, Andy, you made me think of what you said is social media. When you go back to its original roots were intended to build community. Now it's building competition. That's what I it got. Out always,
2: of I'm with you. And, but Glenn, I'm going to say it was built for competition. That's why it works. Right. Mm. It was never built, made to build community. That's all illusion. It's it's illusion of connection. By distinguishing myself, because even in my little mini social media community, I got to distinguish myself and be the better one of those. And the so, better are one we, of those, so, just, so based upon what, what, what Dr. Lacey is
0: saying here, Andy, do you think that students may be confusing uh,
1: what community really means? hundred percent. I would 100 percent agree with that. And it's I agree with it. It's really anti social media. It's funny. That's the way that uh, that that Dr. Lacey said it. No, it, it definitely is dividing us. It's not bringing us closer together. Um, you know, even just simple things like if you go on a family trip and you're on a long drive, right? You have something to entertain you now versus when we were kids. Again, maybe just be bored looking out the window at the pretty sights, right? There yeah. isn't that happening anymore, and it, there are also their brains are going all the time uh, with trying to compare something. So the average adult has. Makes about thirty five thousand decisions a day in their head, right? And so for kids, it's it's probably similar, and if not more. And so the the issue, I think, I totally agree with it. I I don't think social media is bringing us together. It's actually for making us more competitive. And ironically, going back to the point where I brought you know I had the phone in my hand earlier, we actually have found at the school that most of our discipline issues revolve something around. What's happening on Instagram and Snapchat and getting sent to us, pictures, videos, et etc. Wow,
0: Wow. Okay. well, let's close on this big topic. Andy, I mean, it's clear that education and societal issues are indelibly linked. Um, how prepared are educational leaders uh, to confront, address, and get out in front of this? I mean, you know where this is going, right? A conversation about DE&I. Uh, what are your thoughts? What have you experienced? And, and uh, what are your, maybe some, some, uh, some perspectives that you can share with your peers? Around it?
1: You know, I don't, I don't, I think that it, uh, I don't think we're prepared. Um, and things are changing so fast um, that it, it makes it really difficult to be prepared because the trends, and the issues that are coming up, in some respects happen overnight. Um, hmm. And so I'm um, concerned uh, really with what we put out because I've never felt like before where what we end up saying is wrong at a level that it's never been wrong before, meaning that it's not what people necessarily wanna hear. And, you know, usually you make a decision normally, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, probably 70% of the people are going to like that. Right now, with what's going on with everything, you know, that's happening with all the social trends and, and the social issues that are going on, it's split. And it's, uh, you know, you're getting emails from parents where you did this wrong and you did this wrong. And it's not a 70-30 proposition anymore. It's 50-50. And in many respects, it's probably 40-60 where only 40% of the people think that we're even making it. A decision or commenting on something uh, in a manner that they would agree with.
0: You know, I've always said that institutions weren't designed for the mass variances in people. And it, it's clear that this is the case in society. I mean, what do you tell the parents who are being challenged by this ethos of diversity, equity, and inclusion, knowing the caveat? they don't even know what it means, but they still maybe don't like it, or maybe it's too uncomfortable for them.
1: You know, the the benefit that we have as a Catholic school is we can go back to our charism. So our charism at at here is Caritas Christi, which is the love of Christ. And then expanding on that, you know, Jesus taught us how to treat people through the gospel. You know, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see many examples of how Jesus treated people. And then we really try and focus on our four, core, our four core principles. And, you know, the four core principles are obviously compassion, humility, justice, and goodness for us. And we really try to leave it, leave it there because um, it's hard to argue with that as a Catholic school because you come to you, – whether you came here for education or you came here because of the, the faith, uh, we try and focus on that at our school. Um, But as a result of that, though, that also uh, upsets another crowd um, and upsets uh, people uh, in a different way. But I I do think that uh, that's what we'd really try to come back to is the love of Christ and showing that to everyone, regardless of race, gender, anything.
2: Scott, what are you thinking? Um, Just as soon as you're saying that, Andy, I'm thinking of the, the objections or the upset is literally the objections you were talking about earlier. It's just a, a negatively expressed, hey, me yeah. too, I'm here and I, I'm i not with that, right? And suddenly we're back to the perhaps dyad to tendency, but we don't have to be. Um, I'm going to just close with my my part. I, I just love talking with you, Andy, and Glenn, and, it's always a riot to have a good time with a, a new friend, I tell you what. But um, I think my my final comment goes back to your mass variance thought and connecting that to, again, what we're doing in education and Ultimately, if, we're te- if we do education as a, as a, des- as a destination, if we're s- if we're selling a destination, come here and find yourself, find your academic self, find your intellectual self, find your uh, professional self. We're we're selling a, a bag of goods. It's not true, right? If we can sell more about the emergence, the emergent self, we're helping you discover how to emerge, how to evolve, how to grow. How to be a different person every year but not necessarily have that be a bad thing i think that's a lot more realistic in terms of the messages that we're giving students like when we tell students that they have all this pressure to figure out themselves amidst all of this going on when they know deep down and they look this is nothing but mass variance but we're saying find your place in it maybe they have a lot of places in that mass variance and maybe today they're here but they need to have space to go there tomorrow And so ultimately, I think where we're at is back to humanity first, whether it's a 10 kid lunch where we're just sitting down and having a a sandwich with a couple kids or whether it's a staff meeting or whether it's a walk around the community. I think when we see people and we're talking with people, uh, we have to do what Glenn often talks about. And that is even if it's to ourselves, I see you and I hear you, but that's not good enough. How am I seeing you and how am I hearing you? Um, We're still going back to, I see you, student, and I hear you, student. What does it feel like to be a student? I think if we start taking off those roles when we do that connection, what we're going to do is we're going to realize education is a lot more about teaching people how to connect and how to grow and evolve than it is about finding authenticity.
1: Well said. Well said. Well, I, I think one of the uh, the really most, most, most powerful things that Dr. Lacey said today was, you know, I'm 48 years old, I'm still finding myself. I think finding yourself is a lifelong uh, a process. And candidly, if you ask people, many of them on their deathbed, they probably didn't find themselves even you know right minutes before they're passing away. So I, I like that thought. I, I think that's really powerful. I also think too is taking off some of the labels. One of the things that Dr. Lacy said that I is a good challenge is maybe bringing in five faculty members and five students and bringing them in together and just saying, "Hey, we're just people. What do you think of this place?" I like, you know. So, I'm, I'm, my my mind's going as Dr. Lacyus has, has brought up some of these points uh, very, very succinctly.
2: Thank well, you. Brother, man, brother, Andy, and, and, and maybe don't even start with what do you think about this place? Like, what do you think about that tree? Like, yeah. like get, out of the, get them out of the situation. Remind them right. that they're humans and that tree is more important to them. Right. Than, sure. than this lunch even. And but anyway, just some advice from a guy that probably should be listening to myself more than telling.
0: <laughs> no, good stuff.
2: I like it.
1: Thank you.
0: Well, look, guys, I appreciate your time as always, Scott and Andy. Uh, tremendous, You know, this is the kind of discussion and discourse uh, that is often overlooked um, because uh, everyone's trying to find their comfort at a time of tremendous discomfort. And I'm a believer now that and I've always been that, you know, I will tell you that just even recently I learned about myself. And that's another story for another day. But what I have learned is if, if we're not seeking discomfort, uh, we are doing um, We're not being contributors to humanity. We're not being contributors to the future. Uh, We need to be seeking it. We need to know what that feels like, because the truth is we got a long road ahead of us. And it's leaders like you that are going to make people more aware of uh, what it really means to be a leader, what we should be as parents, and what our ultimate role is as a student, which is not what it says in the dictionary. We are lifelong learners, and we're all teachers and students. And if we maybe take Uh, an approach that's fueled with more humility and vulnerability uh maybe we'll find that in the end all of this hierarchy meant nothing to begin with so andy thank you so much for your time uh thank you scott and as we always close the show when you lead in the age of personalization you will see things that others don't do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit thank you andy really appreciate you gentlemen thanks dude Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day and remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.